0: Back to Common Fan Commentary. I am your host, Adam. Happy 2023, everybody. I am joined by Ryan today. How are you doing, Ryan? It's another great
1: day. Uh, we made it to another year and uh, a lot of good sports things going on and a lot of activity. And so, can't wait to discuss.
0: How was your 2022? professionally,
1: did well, um, you know, lifestyle-wise, maintained, how would you say, momentum I got in 2021, and then uh, ultimately moved closer to work, moved closer to Dallas, and a lot of good things happened.
0: Well, I had a great year too, did a lot of traveling this year, went on a long college football tour, went to different stadiums, uh, and that was a lot of fun. And so since I was traveling so much, I wasn't able to focus on the podcast really at all, but Coming into 2023, I was hoping that the new year would spark a little more regular content. The New Year's resolutions are for Starting off last year, we, we saw my favorite World Cups to ever witness. It was probably the most exciting storylines, the best teams. There weren't really arguments in terms of calls or referee decisions. It was my favorite, I think, ever to watch personally. As an Unbiased fan, the United States did better than expected. So, I'll take that. I'll take that. They made it out of group stages, which, at a baby. <laughs> we'll take it. That's something. At least we're there. World Cup as a whole, Messi finally gets his first. I was kind of rooting for him not to get it. I was hoping to keep the meme alive since I didn't really have a team anywhere near the final. Messi finally gets his first. Uh, Ron, what you make of the whole tournament?
1: Agree with you. I mean, it really was probably the most riveting World Cup I've seen to date. Uh, I. I hate to say it, but I was right there with you. Uh, you know, for the longest time, I- I've been into soccer I- probably since 2012 heavily. And, um, you know, if you follow soccer, it's impossible to follow the the GOAT debate of Cristiano and Messi. And, you know, I-, I didn't want Messi to necessarily win it. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, I was happy to see that result and just what it meant to him. And the country of Argentina to see the celebrations and pure elation come out of that country like, it was it was fun to watch, and then not only that, it was really the first time where I ever felt like small country or large country, there was just very quality talent, and I think that's all you can really ask for. Because I, you know, in the last probably four World Cups, it's been really just dominated by premier countries that churn out players left and right, and to see a run from Morocco, to see Netherlands do. Very well. A lot of young talent from there, and uh, Argentina, perennial powerhouse, did fantastic. Of course, how could you forget arguably the best player in the world, Mbappe in France, and so. And then, sadly, uh, Cristiano lists Portugal towards the end. At the same time, I think I was just more so surprised with how
0: level the playing field was, so to speak. It's about the first time we're in knockout stages that most games weren't decided beforehand. You know, it wasn't, oh, hey, th- this team's easily going to win. It's going to be maybe a Croatia on pens. Maybe most games went to extra time. And that just creates a bunch of intrigue. And it was I was rooting for Morocco through the semifinal. As soon as they were the first African country to make it that far, I was like, I hope they take it. I hope they take it. It's a long shot, but I hope they take it. You I can't, can't argue with the France-Argentina nice. final, though. The two best teams in the world facing one head-to-head, going to extra time. And even the final match was probably the most insane game of the tournament. What more can you ask for? And then you go oh, yeah. into penalties, which I, do, I don't I do like that necessarily, that penalties just determine the winner in the end. Because it's like, what team really deserves to win? It's not who's the better penalty team. If you d- went with the NHL rules of play until you score... I think everyone would lose their hamstrings. (laughs) Yeah, you
1: know, that's that's one thing that I I don't love penalty-deciding games either because, like, especially you look at France, you look at Argentina, a lot more of the Argentinian players are, you know, natural scorers. You look at their club performances, things like that, they have midfielders who, who shoot the ball regularly. Whereas in France, like, you know, Adrian Rabiot is not a he's not going to be scoring a ton of goals for you. Like it's a team that really the goal count was dominated by, you know, your front attacking players. Whereas with Argentina, I mean, Messi and he practically plays in the midfield nowadays. Like I think it speaks to the kind of nature of really of South American football, because Brazil a lot of the same way where all of those players have such Great capability on ball to shoot. Tough to compete against in penalties, and you never love to see it. But it made for an electrifying World Cup. Because I'll tell you, even an extra time in that final, I remember sitting there in the 70th and in regulation, and you know I was kind of down. I'm like, I don't know if France can can jump back in this. And you know the penalty was given, and and that was enough to get them back. But then the, the volley from
0: Mbappe, like I mean, that was just. I was a huge Mbappe doubter until the finals. I was yeah. I was always of the argument that oh he plays in, you know French League One of course he's going to score a lot of it. that's the farmers league like who's he playing against who cares he's never done it in Champions League I've never seen that proven and then he just shut me up yeah <laughs> I'm like well maybe he does earn that fifty million dollar paycheck per year. He went
1: out and claimed it, that's for sure, and so, yeah, no, it was it was a World Cup that, you know, soccer fans, we dream of, and I think, honestly, it just sets like, such a great stage for 2026. Especially uh, being
0: pretty local. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. I saw Dallas lobbying, you know, I believe right now the count is, I believe we'll have four games here in Dallas, mixed between, I believe, two group stage and then two knockout stage as well, and then I know that... We were vying for the final, too, mm-hmm. uh, to be held at AT&T, one of the largest stadiums, of course, uh, in North America. It'll be exciting to see how that shakes out. And let me ask you this, though. I know you said you were you felt okay about the, the United States performance. It just left me wondering because the lack of playtime for Gio Reyna surprised me.
0: Well, um, with all the drama with his mom and the coach and the... Yeah. I mean... So, and then, though, he <laughs> was
1: electric and Uh you know that's what i hate the most and it's like i think if we set aside some of that drama like
0: do we do better specifically in Gio Reyna's case he is such a young guy and he never has the fitness capable of playing a whole match he's always that 60 minute guy so if you could sub him in for at the 30th minute i think that would be the perfect place for him because he's just not you know strong enough old enough fit enough which 2026 who knows? I, I did have the, the realization, though, that outside of our top four players, we're still pretty bad. <laughs> outside of Adams, McKinney, Dest, and arguably Sergeant slash Raina, yeah, we're pretty soft. <laughs> pretty easy to take advantage of when we're throwing out Walker Zimmerman. I don't really I trust think lack of a true number nine,
1: truthfully. Like,
0: you know what? I feel like we move the
1: ball well. We can control it sometimes, and, uh, but uh, there was just a real
0: lack of finishing ability. I think we left our best number nine off the squad completely. Jordan Fogg, I was telling everyone we need to select him off Union Berlin. Dude was started the Bundesliga season with like eight goals and eight matches, and then we just leave him. Why? <laughs> and, that, and that's why we I, take Shaq more
1: instead. That's exactly. It. And that's why I'm like, I don't know if Burkhalter does the job and his contract ended this last year. And, you know, that's why I'm kind of like, I think we're capable of more. And it just left the fans wanting more.
0: Correct. Uh, now we've set expectation. Now we have to rise above set expectation. Because before we were just like happy to be here. But at some point, we have to take that next step to being a team that doesn't just like, you know, skid by, that we actually come in a win. I I do love this argument, though. uh, Or what what would you think? If we didn't have American football, how good do you think our U.S. men's team would be? I think it'd be phenomenal because imagine tyree hill and jalen waddle on the wings with lamar jackson at midfield (laughs) put lebron in the
1: goal like i mean we have absolute freak of nature athletes in our country that will just refuse to ever play soccer because you're never going to make like if you're trying to get your family out of you know impoverished situations coming from nothing like the last thing you're choosing is
0: professional soccer absolutely (laughs) okay I'm glad we're all on the same page there because yeah. I've had arguments where they said, "Oh no, they win. It's like, well, if you train, yeah, uh, of oh. course. Right now, if we throw Tyreek Hill out there, if you have him training since he was a kid, like he was with football, we we it have an no insane team. Yeah, especially yeah, especially LeBron James and goal. Like, imagine trying to make a penalty yeah, on a guy I'm who so covers so, the ex- entire goal with almost seven foot <laughs> wingspan. Like, it's just not happening. Like. Uh, so speaking of the NFL, a, a little bit of a heavier topic. It's hard not to talk about it, especially given the week. I was planning this segment before the Demar Hamlin injury, um, where he collapsed during the Bills-Bengals game from a heart attack, taking a hit right to the chest. In a freak injury for to a 24-year-old. It happened in the middle of one of his rhythms of his heart and on the T-wave on the upscale of it, and so it was like one of those you know fraction of a millisecond hits that hit him at the perfect time to cause the injury that it did. So this whole segment originally was with the idea of Tua Tagovailoa's injuries. Um, He suffered two concussions this year officially. He's really suffered three, but NFL only recognizes two, so that their protocols say he could still play, and this whole segment was going to be talking about the NFL's treatment of the players. Well, we're going to take a different perspective, especially based off this DeMar Hamlin injury, because now this isn't directed toward the NFL. This is directed towards the fans as well, because after the Internet got a hold of it and everyone was offering the support, love, they, they collected $8 million to DeMar Hamlin's charity toy drive that he runs in Pennsylvania, which is fantastic. There was also a segment of fans that were saying, well, what about the game? What are we going to do about that? One of those fans, too, namely Skip Bayless, is who this is directed at, who are confused at the postponement of this bills Bengals Monday night match. These athletes who are playing a game for our entertainment purposes just watch their teammate collapse and potentially suffer a fatal injury. So how do you expect these human beings on the field who provide entertainment for us to watch one of their comrades and teammates almost die and expect them to finish the entertainment property that you just witnessed. Do we forget that they're mortals? Do we forget that they're not just robots? Like to the same vein, if Shannon Sharp were to collapse on the indisputed, would Skip Bayless be expected to finish the show? Because what he tweeted was saying, well, why are we postponing it? We need this has playoff implications who gives a crap a guy almost died if i if you just watched your friend almost die, and someone said hey i expect you to finish the rest of the workday," i would assume i'm in the military it's like no that's not what we're here for this isn't an emergency situation this again is for the entertainment of people they are not gladiators they are athletes who cares about finishing that game if damar doesn't serve up so i think that this incident Really needs to highlight how distorted fans' perspectives are and their expectations of the athletes that they see through this entertainment property. Yeah, I mean, if I could say one thing, I was so
1: proud of the Bills staff. You know, coming home from lunch yesterday, I watched uh, the doctors talk more in depth about the injury and. What they highlighted was if that staff wouldn't have, if that medical staff wouldn't have recognized how quickly uh, this situation could get out of hand, and they didn't initiate CPR and they didn't take the necessary precautions, they did that young man would have been, it would have been the last, maybe the last steps he ever took on her. Mm-hmm. And so, I was really happy to see that, especially given the two situation earlier in the si- in the season, because. I felt like that was so mishandled in Miami and it's not taking the proper precautions to protect the players. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, it's it's the downfall of, of who we are as Americans. What the NFL is, is essentially to a lot of people a product. It's something that they rally around. And I mean, even businesses in the United States, it's something to be rallied around every Sunday. I mean, there's a reason that restaurants, bars and All sorts of establishments have success in their business, is rallied around the NFL. You know, during the summer, they don't have this kind of, they don't have that kind of attendance from fans. And so I think that's the biggest downfall. And it it makes me sad because, you know, you do have people questioning, you know, why is the game not going on? Well, I mean, I think it's very plain to see why it's not going on. And so, and sometimes I wonder, you know, Skip Bayless, I've I've, (laughs) I've despised that man for quite some time now. And... (laughs) I think he says some of the things that he says just solely to get, you know, provoke reactions. And I, I, I deep down hope that's what that was because I, I don't understand how you could be so naive to take the situation that occurred on that field and, and ask the kind of question he did. It's something where I think we've got a lot of growth just as fans because it's something that has been over time turned into – turned into something that's not viewed as as healthy sport it's, it's viewed as as an entertainment product like you were saying and so it's sad to see but at the same time I'm excited he's alive I think if anything I was proud of the NFL I don't say that often I don't really have a lot of support for Roger Goodell but to postpone the game have all the owners meet discuss you know what we can do next with that game not being played especially given the playoff implications you know they said hey we're not gonna we're not gonna risk anything. We're going to shut this down. We'll talk about it later. And they did. And then they came up with outcomes that will play into this next week of football. And and I really, really, really do think outside of just the, the negative things that were said by some fans, some commentators, other sports analysts, I was very proud about how the NFL actually handled the whole scenario.
0: Yeah, it almost seems really backwards because we're very used to the opposite. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I feel kind of the opposite when it comes to Tua's situation, where oh. he has suffered three concussions, but because of protocol, he's only been in two, even though they don't call that original hit he took against the Bills where he's stumbling off the field and can't even balance. Uh, they don't call that a concussion because he was never re- evaluated for him. Um, and that, I, I believe, is because they were trying to potentially, if he still felt okay, to play him. Maybe after an incident where his brain is misfiring and his hands lock up, almost in a posturing position, I think that means he shouldn't play. I'm not a doctor, but I think Tua assumes, I assume, wants to live till he's older in life without brain damage. Sustaining that many head injuries in one season, you have to consider, I know you want to play for your team. You want to give it all. But you have to consider your own health at the same time. I know they say that you die for your sport, but you don't have to. That's not in your contract. That's just to say. Well, I- let me ask you this, because do you think this comes
1: down to, to an organizational problem? Not necessarily the NFL, because as a governing body, I think you can only do so much, right? Mm-hmm. And, and once again, this is a rare stance for me, sitting over here kind of defending the league, because I think the league has been broken for quite some time. If you look at the two situation, and then one situation that will always stick out in my head, is how the Washington Commanders handled Robert Griffin III. They mm-hmm. didn't treat that knee injury correctly, and they, they cut what could have been, I believe, and this may be my own personal bias coming from Baylor, but a, a Hall of Fame career, knee injury after knee injury, not proper time to rehabilitate, you know was forced back into play. Mm-hmm. You have to start asking questions because I mean, the Commanders aren't necessarily known for their wholesome reputation ownership down. And you look at Miami, they're not necessarily known for being a premier franchise. The Dolphins have rarely, you know, outside of a, a championship a long long time ago, they're not regarded as a as a high-end franchise in the NFL.
0: And yeah, so I mean, they um, have the same almost
1: same ownership problems as Dan exactly. Snyder in Washington you really do, I think, have to ask yourself, you know, you saw how well the Bills handled things. And granted, that's an immediate, it had more impact than a concussion, which yeah, I yeah it was it more, more
0: severe. <laughs> let's, you know, let's yeah, be real. But
1: at the same time, you know, you look at that and, and there's no excuse for Miami and the way they handled that, because how many years did they take off that man's career, let alone his life?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this whole segment, I guess, was more just not necessarily an actionable thing that we can do tomorrow but it's more of, as fans how we should view the game because the word that i want you to highlight that i just said is game and that's what it is at the end of the day and that it is not life or death so therefore if someone does go through something life or death we should side with the player and their health first and foremost, not play seeding. Because that's what it is. It's not, it, will the Bengals make the playoffs? Will the Bills make It's who gets the one seed. So I think that's even more of a who cares scenario. Tomorrow first. So yeah. what perspective we should take as fans? Because I think that we do have a duty in what we support and how we view things. We need to take the frame of mind that these are still people on the field. They're not robots. They're not machines. They are mortal. I appreciate the league for canceling that game because i think that it would have been a horrendous mistake if they tried to continue to play you know we
1: talk about a lot of sports on here you look at the nba and their problem with continued racism fans acting out courtside like you look at soccer that's you know in england they i think they struggle more than anything with with mm-hmm. some of the racial things that are said in the stands and uh you know and, and here on calling fan it's like we got to realize that we're all just common fans like Mm -hmm. uh you know so i appreciate the segment because you're right there's there's a a level of respect that we also have to approach uh this game with and like you said emphasis on the game because that's what it is
0: hey common fans adam here the best way to support this podcast is by clicking the follow button on whatever platform you're using it's free and it helps us out tremendously thanks in advance and enjoy the rest of the episode after a little heavy-handed talking, it a little bit back to the Premier League, because I know that you're itching to talk about Arsenal, I can
1: <laughs> Oh yeah, I was just like, scar. I guess first off, say I was right
0: uh, two years ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> Period. I was right. <laughs> you know, 2023 I- was the year. You were pretty spot on with that. That's crazy. I said
1: 2023 was going to be going to be wow. the year where we had it all put together and. It's fantastic to see. And, you know, I think the thing, though, that I have really appreciated about the Premier League season so much, though, is it's not dominated by two teams anymore because you really look top down. There are some phenomenal talents right now. I mean, you look at Newcastle, who really I think a lot of people wrote off. You know, they finished near the bottom of the table last year. uh, And to come in, make some big signings and put a team together is exciting. Same thing with Fulham. You know, you've got all of a sudden a very competitive roster with Mitrovic at the top that is really providing some very, very clean football. And they're going to be a very big task. to. I believe Chelsea plays them in the coming weeks. And, you know, you're going to see a club that traditionally is dominated and what is two years off of a Champions League. And they're as bad as they are right now. Also to know that Man City is human, Liverpool are human, because I think for, you know, the last three to five years, It was a it was a top heavy league that you know outside of really the big six there really wasn't a lot of competition because not every game for Arsenal has been easy and they've had me on my edge of my seat almost all season because there have been some close ones where we're tangling with middle of the table clubs that maybe a few decisions go their way and they're no longer middle of the table clubs. It has been great to see Arteta finally put the dash and dart Arsenal together to see the creativity from the players and to finally have really just a cohesion that we've lacked and and then ultimately a defense that I think still, can still improve. And so uh, it's fun being an Arsenal fan right now. It has not been for the last five years. And so <laughs> uh, it's, it's nice to have my time in the sun.
0: I don't think anyone was expecting this type of start. Where my perspective switched was the Jesus signing where I was thinking, oh, they'll be okay, and Ketia maybe will step up as their number nine. But once they signed Jesus, I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute, this team might be pretty pretty good this year. Hold up. I'd
1: like to say it's it's him that – and early on in the season, he was a workhorse, and, I mean, he didn't necessarily have the goals to show for it. He came in the same window as Holland and Nunez, and forever will be kind of compared. And, you know, I think an injury, if it doesn't take him out, he's not necessarily in the conversation just because he doesn't have the goal record to show for it, but and he has really the same goal record
0: as long. Nunez, so – well, <laughs> it's is
1: yeah. fair? And so, uh, but really, if I had to credit anyone, it's uh, Martin Odegaard. He's a world class midfielder. We look back at that purchase, or it was thirty million from Real Madrid to to bring him With over. No and,
0: buyback clause, nothing. Not, yeah, you you actually have, just fleece them. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm jealous. That was a fleece. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that, and
1: then finally, the homegrown talent you know, coming through, I mean, but I mean, we saw it on the World Cup stage, too. The He's not a boy anymore, you know, mm-hmm. and I think you look back at the Euros in uh, 21, and there was a a lot of growth and maturity that came out of that last penalty that England took against Italy, that he cost a country a European championship, and um, but at the same time, he faced a lot of backlash, and he had two choices, and that was to, you know, kind of, creep back and not become the player he is today or you know puff out his chest and show why he belongs and uh, to see what he did in the world cup this year was incredible and uh, to see what he continues to do in the premier league is just something that just is absolutely shocking for a, a 21 22
0: year old player they certainly do have the future as well because all of their pieces are under 26 so this isn't just a one-year thing, I think. This could be squad that we're going to be ruining the day that Odegaard was signed for only thirty <laughs> mil. Shaking our fist at Real Madrid being idiots with their players. I don't want to. I don't want to poke the bear though. But what? Uh, what's
1: going on on the other side of London? Come um, on, um, me,
0: please. Well, okay. Conte is a high-quality head coach who has had success through purchasing the players he wants, regardless of price. Tottenham is known for homegrown talent and buying people on the cheap and hoping hoping they develop within their system, T. Pochettino. So those two philosophies don't really mix. Having someone to, especially the way he he sets up his team, playing in a 3-4-2-1, is fine if you want to play more defenders behind the ball. That is not Tottenham's strength. Their strength is getting the ball to Kulusevsky, Jungmin Son, and feeding Kerry King. So putting more defenders and having Eric Dyer take a higher percentage of ball possession is a horrible idea. Parasich is not a left back, he's a winger, so I don't know why we give him any defensive responsibilities. Our right-back situation hasn't been good, I don't think, ever. Maybe since, I mean, Trippier was our like, best one in the past 10 years, which is not saying anything. Yeah. There's no good fix for them right now, other than maybe we can try someone else's tactics, which I don't think you could get better. It's like Conte's a great head coach. I'd rather not lose him. I just wish he would use what he has. We will not want to effect. Why did we fire him? because we had a bad first half after they went to the Champions League final. They've just been regretting that ever the since. The philosophy
1: of, of the clubs in, you know, in the EPL, because uh, I think the same question could be asked of Chelsea, of why Tunkel was removed because what a, a little bit of a bad first half. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you bring in Graham Potter, which I feel bad for the guy because I think he deserved a, a move up to a big six club. And, he was, he was excellent beforehand, but you look at the club he was given, and or the players he was given, and uh, there's just a lot to be desired there. I'm fairly surprised by Manchester United. The ball's on Ten Hag. You know, taking Cristiano out, uh, getting him effectively out of the club, That's I the thought, best thing you could have done. Yeah, <laughs> I mean... I thought that that turmoil was something that could have killed a weak-minded side. But, Mm -hmm. you know, Rashford, I think there were a lot of players in the Premier League that benefited very, very heavily from the World Cup break of just playing a different kind of football and gaining some of their confidence back. Rashford has been on an absolute tear. All of a sudden, the price tag on Casemiro is justified. You know, Mm -hmm. he's played like a madman in that midfield. I think Anthony still, you know he leaves a little bit to be desired, but even the turnaround of Lissandro Martinez, I was very much documented at the beginning of the season being a Alessandro Martinez doubter. And I think you he and me really showed up. <laughs> we both called <laughs> him,
0: I think turnstile. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, you didn't have to, I, I thought he lacked the size. I thought he lacked the grit to play in the premier league. And, and uh, turns out it's, it's not about the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the heart or the size of the fight in the dog. And
0: so, and he's a dog. I do still think they need to move on from De Gea. I think that's what will take yeah. their game. It, once they start playing Dean Henderson, which is what I said on the first episode of this podcast back in, I don't know what year, that they need to play Dean Henderson and that De, De Gea is dead weight. I'm still, I'm still hanging my hat on that, but their turnaround has been institutional almost it like yeah. it, because Ten Hogg is a good coach and knows how to coach good players. He's able to form these players into what he wants them to be, and removing Ronaldo has worked for almost every club except Real Madrid. Yeah,
1: well, I think it took some years for Real Madrid because I, I do like their progression now, and, mm-hmm. and they really have a good core of young players that will be that next generation. Following you know the Cruz, the Benzema, like that, they, they're on their way out. And I, oh, you know, sure. while I say that, but Benzema's still fantastic, and so. <laughs> Uh, but at the same time you know you're right and and wrong in that situation where i think it just took a little time to move on because really the the weight that he carried in that team
0: i think was just too much but no, that's what i'm saying it's like they yeah. he, they spent 8 years depending on him and so it was really that was a lot it would take a lot longer to get over that that breakup yeah. if you will than Juventus who they were like hey how about we try giving the ball to Ronaldo all the time and they did and they're like well when he doesn't play well, the whole team falls apart. What's up with that? Which is why they're still dealing with the fallout.
1: Man you, I, I think they made a good signing in Butlin, uh, bringing in a number two keeper. I don't think he's number two for very long, kind of like what you, off the tail end of what you're saying. I, De Gea is dead weight, and I think they realize that, and uh, I think there, there's a lot of loyalty there just because of how much respect they have for him, because I, I have heard that there's contract talks with him again on, on maybe extending him, but... I don't think he stays the number one there. I think, if anything, he withdraws back into a role where he's more of a mentor and more of a leader in the side rather than tier one keep. Another big signing, Liverpool went out and got him Gakpo. I mean, he he was top five players for me in the World Cup. It was impressive to see what he did uh, with the Dutch. And I thought, you know, and it's funny to me because uh, for about a year's time, all I've heard is... Man U's going to purchase. Man U's going to purchase. He only had to spend six weeks with Virgil to make it to Liverpool. <laughs> he spent <laughs> six weeks with Van Dyke and was like, you know, I think you're on to something. I think there are going to be some other moves. I've heard rumors now Declan Rice may be on the move because West Ham does, they look like they're bound for relegation. I hear Zaha, you know, continues to refuse to sign a new contract at Palace. I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, what kind of maneuver he makes.
0: He should have maneuvered like four years ago, even. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they Crystal Palace kind of fumbled that a bit. They could have sold him for he was on the block for probably $80 dollars. Million, $80 million. Oh yeah. And now they're now he's what twenty eight years old, twenty nine years old. So. And they might not get nothing for him. Mm-hmm. Like if they can't move him in this window, he's he's out in the summer for free. They fumbled that bag, and the, the big name that I I was looking at was Enzo Fernandez played for Argentina, the Argentina midfield, Benfica currently, where they Benfica doesn't want to lose him, I, and he had a fantastic World Cup, so a lot of teams are interested. And then Chelsea is so desperate. They personally ruined the transfer market for every other club. Every other club could negotiate reasonably if Chelsea wasn't around. <laughs> because they, They're like, oh, we're not afraid to pull out the checkbook. And it's like, well, you should be because all of your most recent signings have been busts. Namely Havertz, namely Lukaku, namely, I'm naming a bunch Burner. of people, over a hundred million. Werner, especially. It's like, well, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Kukurea. I think he leaves a lot
1: to, to be desired for on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, Koulibaly, uh, you can argue that he's too old to be in the Premier League. I mean, Thiago Silva is honestly probably the only one that I can point to and be like, wow, that actually has kind of worked out for you guys. Oh, and don't, let's not – please let's not forget Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang.
0: <laughs> for <laughs>
1: forgot he was on the team still. So. <laughs> <laughs> that dumpster. That dumpster. Arteta God. said no, and I thought Arteta was crazy. And to see the kind of performances he's turning out for Chelsea, he might be a double agent for Arsenal. You
0: like, know, that's actually man. brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> But the but, fact that Chelsea keeps – so they're looking at – currently Enzo Fernandez has a 120 million euro release clause. You can talk in the summer for a little bit cheaper probably. But Chelsea's saying, oh, no, we will leave. We want him now. And we'll try to negotiate. We'll give you three players and spend, give you 90 mil. It's like, well, why are you all being psychos with the transfer market? You know you can like, be reasonable with clubs and you don't have to force a move every single time you want to get a player on your squad. It's just like they they use such underhanded tactics in comparison to the rest of the Premier League. And it's just really, really disturbing how mismanaged Chelsea's transfer market policy is. First of all, props to Benfica. To scout that talent
1: and put a slap 820 million euro clause on him. I mean, that was done a year and a half ago, I think, or two windows ago. And I would have, I didn't think Enzo Fernandez was all that you know and and even coming into the world cup he was highly touted i, I kind of brushed right past that. i really didn't think he had the talent to be that kind of star but props to benfica for having that kind of release clause there because they saw something and they were like look if you're leaving this club we are absolutely cashing out <laughs> and if you watched the last game the midweek man city chelsea game it was almost embarrassing to see the kind of reserves they were bringing off the bench. see such a a club fall from grace, you know, a Champions League winning side, to subbing on 18-year-olds against the defending champions to try to not drop any further than 10. It's it's embarrassing. And that's why they are so desperate. And desperation is, is a loud activity, and a lot of teams know it. And they've benefited off Chelsea's desperation over the last two windows. And I've appreciated it because
0: oh, we spread that to Liverpool a bit, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the,
1: the saddest part about Liverpool is this year, they, they really just have sustained just crippling injuries. I thought Diaz was going to be him. At the end of last season, early this season, like uh, coming off the wing, I, I really, really thought that that was a adequate replacement for Sadio Mane. Like it felt so good. Tough to see him go down. Hopefully, Gakpo can slot in and do something similar. Because, man, I'll tell you what, Mo Salah needs help. Because the way Darwin Nunez misses
0: misses the goal, it, it's absolutely stunning. It's comical how good he is at missing the goal. Because he he's so good at creating the opportunity where like he's about to score, and then he just smacks the crap out of the crossbar. The last game he played, he had six shots. Zero on target. Open, open. <laughs> That's the thing.
1: Like you know, it's you know to go out and play a stout defense. Maybe you know you're you're struggling to get the ball in the back of the net. But no, no, no. This man had several breaks where he's one on one, one v two with keeper defender, and and just cannot seem to place the ball where it needs to go. He's so, Romelu
0: Lukaku in the World Cup.
1: I saw a tweet yesterday, and it was like, imagine this attacking three, and it was Darwin Nunez, Lukaku, and Timo Werner. And (laughs) I was like, man. We're going to talk
0: about a rose. That crossbar would be ringing. (laughs) (laughs) Like Christmas.
1: (laughs) One last question. How many goals do you think Erling Haaland finishes the season with? Uh, What is he at currently? I believe 22.
0: 22, Jesus. took him 14 games to get 20. Gary Neville, who uh, was famously clipped for saying, I doubt Holland has the physicality to score 15 in the league this season. And he did that before the mid-season break. Yeah. Like, no, we we called it. (laughs) He was going to be good.
1: Yeah. The man's a machine. We knew he was a machine. And so I I put my – I'll put it
0: at, uh, I think, over 40 but under 45. I'd say – over 42 <laughs> under <a> 50 <laughs> I'll
1: tell you what I'm excited the the next two fixtures uh for the top two teams so for Man City and Arsenal uh they play the exact same two teams so we've got a derby coming up on January 15th Arsenal Tottenham square off the I'm next week yeah <laughs> you know mm-hmm. I texted a Tottenham friend today here here locally as well and I said hey uh next Sunday do you want to get together and watch the game and uh, I was left on red. so
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't blame
1: him. And so, but then after that, we, uh, we've we got Man City at, or excuse me, Man United at home, and it's, it's flip-flop for City. So they play uh, United on the road, coming up on the 15th, and then they've got Tottenham in the next game. So I really, I'm excited to see, you know, I think this is, Arsenal's coming into their biggest test of the season, because as an Arsenal fan, if there's one thing I will acknowledge is we absolutely can blow this lead. I don't think we blow top four, but to say that we're going to win it all, and I think Pep's playing his mind games coming out midweek saying, I think Arsenal can clear 100 points. I think he's doing that to put put thoughts in people's heads. And um, But, you know, uh, we'll see. And I think the next few weeks will really tell us a lot. What do you make of the, the Mudrick potential signing from Shakhtar? Well, it pisses me off because, man, you ruined ruined the transfer market. So um, <laughs> they paid 80, I believe it was 85 mil for Anthony. Mm-hmm. And uh, Man City paid, uh, just the city of Manchester is pissing me off because then they paid 100 mil for Jack Grealish. And those are two players that really have not performed. And so Shakhtar's over here. They're saying, look, we think he's on a Grealish-Anthony level. If you want this player, you're going to have to find a sweet spot between 85 and 100 mil. And you're talking about someone with or a handful of Champions League experience. Okay, I'll give them that. And only about 30 league games at Shakhtar. This can't be the market. And <laughs> if, personally, I don't think that we'll get him. I, I don't think Edu and the front office, I don't think they're going to do it. With Jesus' injury, I mean, I don't know when he'll come back. Right now he he's off crutches as of this week, so that, that gives me optimism that an April returns not out of the question to finish the campaign. But the thing is is you know, we get Smith Rowe back and I think he'll provide a little bit of much needed spark in the midfield and he can play on the wing too. And so It'll be interesting to see what we do with him, but then I'm still not sold that Eddie and Ketia is our long-term answer. Uh, I think I would rather see Martinelli slot into the middle and bring in a Mudrick, a Jao Felix, uh, even—I'll even throw out the name Zaha because I would be a fan of paying Palace a little bit of something so they don't lose him on the free just to entertain that for the rest of the season. So. I think we have to make a move. I just don't know if we're willing to shell out the 80, 90 million it's going to take to get Moodre. For
0: Tottenham, they're looking at a a sporting right back so we can continue to play like mediocre defense. Let's let's get another attacking right back because that's what we need is worse defenders on the pitch. If I can
1: give you any sort of uh, hope, I, I do believe that Harry Kane is at the pinnacle of his career. A lot I think of what you should I have said he <laughs> 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 well, I think so. Don't get me wrong. He's never going to win a trophy, but uh, yeah. I, well, what I'm seeing. Why, he why did, would he? he, he?
0: Would he? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if he's playing for time, why would he? <laughs> uh,
1: but, you know, I think when Son gets the mask off, when he can finally play, because he came out this week and said he really can't see as much of the ball, you know, with it on. And. I think when he gets the mask off, because I've always believed in Kulo uh, in the midfield. I think he's absolutely fantastic. Um, and then, you know, like you said, you do have the attack. It's just like, it's just not clicking. And Conte tends to park the bus too much. You know, he, he's playing, he tries to counter and which isn't a bad thing. But I, I do believe they have the pedigree to to be someone that controls more of the ball. And so to see him pay, play very passively. Um, is something that I know has left uh, plenty of Tottenham fans almost facing cardiac arrest. Uh, the yeah. way they win games in the 90th minute, and so sad to see.
0: Or lose because we're continuing to park the bus and think we can just out yeah, wrong.
1: But no, fantastic. I always appreciate you letting me talk about the Premier League. I swear, I never thought I'd be this guy. I think I, I think I probably pay more attention to the Premier League than I do the NFL nowadays. And I don't want to say American sports is being ruined, but. Uh, there's too much. There's too much media involvement. There's too much extracurriculars, really, mm-hmm. in, in American sports. Where I feel like, you know, outside of Paul Pogba in Europe, uh, most <laughs> every player, you know,
0: just shows up and does their job. And so, oh, then and you don't have any witch doctors showing up to curse your <laughs> international teammates. Oh man, that's a yeah, normal. Guys. That's a normal day here in the states. What do you mean? <laughs> oh boy but yeah no i always appreciate you
1: adam and and just uh having me on too it's always it's always fun to chop it up what do you make
0: of the the nfl playoffs i kind of want to touch on that real quick the teams that i i like a lot right now i mean the Bengals are getting hot at the right time they're playing cohesively they they're playing great defense joe burrows on his feet more often than he's not which is something that they went to a super bowl with him on his back that they're very dangerous team and they have the rushing attack the passing attack the defense the secondary is good enough i mean they give enough time for their pass rush and trey hendrickson is probably the most underrated player in the league wow i say that because he used to play for the saints and i thought that then and then we let him go to the Bengals. all my teams are struggling i don't like that <laughs> Is this one this one thing I'm I'm starting to look at. Well, hey,
1: I, being a Packers fan, it's been a very, very up and down season <laughs> and I had some folks razz me today at work because it's I remember the first time we played the Lions this season, I thought that's when we were gonna get our season back on track. That wasn't the case. We got we that's got when the a, Lions got on track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Lions got on track. And so, you know, it's in classic NFL form. Uh it'll be a fun week eighteen with Rodgers squaring off against the Lions, controlling his own destiny. And, uh, you know, it's going to leave me either a very
0: happy or very sad man. (laughs) (laughs) There's no in between. (laughs) There's no in between. From the NFC, though, I I hate that the Buccaneers are in the playoffs. Same. Because giving Brady a shot at anything is not good, especially in a year where he's got motivation to prove himself. You know all that personal stuff that he's dealing with at home. He's got he he's got something to show on the field, um, and that that might that's what we saw a lot of. But then they they've rallied back from the losing record. Or, hey, Brady in playoffs always scares me,
1: especially when you get a first round matchup against the Cowboys.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Like you want to talk? Ugh. You, it just hurts my head because you're you're putting together a barely 500 season. And then you're going to play probably the most advantageous team to play because you're talking about a secondary that is not disciplined. We've seen it all year against probably one of the better receiving cores. And then if Mike Evans is coming into form at the right time of the year, Chris Godwin is finally healthy. You still have Julio Jones who, it, you know, be it he's old, he's still a threat, and he outsizes a lot of those Cowboys DBs. And, you know, you're talking about uh, and taking a negative record and playing probably the most advantageous
0: team. And if Dallas is known for anything, they're known for blowing it. it Reminding me a lot of when the Saints went 12-4, and finished second in their division played the Seahawks at seven and nine and then lost on the last play of the game I gotta love being a Saints fan speaking of loving it in playoffs huh <laughs> uh, you know I think uh it'll be fun
1: I think the the matchup if it play if everything plays out correctly what it's looking like right now see Minnesota square up with the Giants I'm actually really looking forward to that matchup hopefully it's played at you know seven o'clock at night because if it's played at one o'clock, if it's a noon game, Kirk Cousins is going to ball out. Uh, if it's not, <laughs> um, there's so no telling what he, version. That's
0: how you know he's like a born old man because yeah. he's like I got to get to bed by at least eight o'clock, guys. I can't, I can't play after. I'm sorry, but I
1: think those two, those two units, uh, they're going to be exciting to watch. And then Seahawks end up playing the Niners. You know, I think in the a- NFC, I really, truly believe that the Niners are still the best team. I mean, they, I agree. With you. They really show that, and don't get me wrong, Purdy's no slouch, but you know, they haven't had a quarterback all year. They haven't had a quarterback in many years. Years. Arguably since Kaepernick. Like, my God. I think that that's a team that has Super Bowl Bowl aspirations. And In Week 12, I picked out two teams, or excuse me, Week 14. I really thought it was going to be the Bengals and the Niners, and and I'm going to stick with that for my Super Bowl prediction, because I you know I I think the Patrick Mahomes curse against the Bengals is very real. You know I think what is he zero and four versus Joe Burrow and the Bengals zero and three.
0: He, that's the only team he has not beaten in the NFL.
1: Yeah, and so you know I, I truly believe that that's a that's a big big test for him. And then uh, it'll be interesting to see you know a little bit more of of Buffalo and New England. You know if they end up squaring off first round. I think Buffalo is extremely talented, but uh, run they're running something old, to play for. Yeah. Oh, that's you know I do believe in storylines, and that's something that uh, I I believe will keep them. It'll it'll get them through the first round, mm-hmm. um, and then it'll kind of just be interesting to see who they play from there. Because I think they just need to
0: win the coin toss in overtime this time. Yeah, and then, and then yeah. they can they can go as far as they want. <laughs> Super Bowl prediction: I got uh, Bengals and Forty ers
1: I'm gonna go Bills and Forty ers It'd be cool to watch Josh Allen win a Super Bowl. It'd be cool to watch the city of Buffalo win a Super Bowl. Win a thing. Although I will say the matchup that I would love the most Mm -hmm. is if the Philadelphia Eagles squared off against the Buffalo Bills because I don't think you could have a city on planet Earth with enough booze or enough tables to sustain those two teams.
0: Oh, God. All of America would just be on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That is primetime entertainment. That is all the time that we have today, guys. Thank you so much for stopping by. I know this episode was a little more serious, but I appreciate the discussion. Um, I thought it was very insightful and at least something to think about. So thank you so much for your time, Ryan. Always love chatting with you. I
1: appreciate it. You know, I hope that 2023 ends up being a very fruitful year. And I do enjoy chopping it up with you. And especially as we get deeper into, you know, baseball season, hockey playoffs, basketball playoffs. There's a lot to look forward to in 2023. So I appreciate your time, brother,
0: and uh, look forward to the next one. Thanks so much to all of you listening. I hope you have a great one.